what are we doing out here? I, I thought we were going on a date. Shh, we gotta be quiet. Why are we tromping through the woods? Oh, wait, is that a subdivision? Mm-hmm. This had better be some kind of nice surprise. I put on makeup for this. It's the best kind of surprise, Christy. Take a look through these binoculars. This is weird. No, no, look at that driveway up there, at the pink house. Hey, okay. I'm seeing a nice car and a boat and... Wait, is that a bunch of banana peels? It's a bunch of banana peels. Chris, why am I in a beautiful summer dress, looking like a total snack, in the woods, looking at a driveway filled with banana peels? I put them there, knowing that on Saturday nights, Timmy Peppersmith goes out at 8.30 p.m. like clockwork. He's going to hit one of those banana peels and flop right on his treacherous behind. Remember when I said this is weird? Yeah, now you understand. It's even weirder! Who is Timmy Peppersmith? Oh, I'll tell you, Christy. Timmy Peppersmith was a little jerk that I went to school with in the third grade. He was always a smarmy little son of a gun, but he did the ultimate disrespect. Which was? I spilled sink water on my pants after using the bathroom, and he said it looked like I peed myself. (coughs) Goodness sake. Why can't you just let it go? Never stop. What? Never stop. Making them pay. Chris, don't you know that a life of revenge only seeks to widen the gap between you and living a good life? You know, I never thought about it that way. Date night? We can get dinner and talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our World War Hulk episode. World War Hank. Mm, wrong guy. Oh, boy. Maybe I read the wrong comic. <laughs> We've done that bit before, sweetheart. Have we done World War Hank? No, just reading the wrong comic. That's legitimately happened. <laughs> oh. Well, readers. Chris suggested that going into World War Hulk, it would be helpful for me to have read Planet Hulk. And I thought, sure, sure. So I read Planet Hulk, and then I got to World War Hulk, and I was like, oh, there's tie-ins. Oh, there's a list. Oh. Uh, so I read them all. Yep, Christy is three. You've you've done all. You've done like three crossovers it's in a row. It's a really bad precedent for me to be <laughs> setting right now. It's not healthy. <laughs> It's not sustainable, at least. Yes. Mm. Yes. I mean, even if it were sustainable, I don't know if it would be healthy. <laughs> no. Well, Tie-ins is... are not like the comics that you want to read, for the most part. No. No, they're... I feel like maybe we should. I should start curating a list for you, or maybe we can even ask readers no, beforehand. See, this is, this is my purpose. I am here to curate the list for others. That's fair. Yeah. It's not fair for me to outsource this burden <laughs> to anybody else. Your tie-in related burden. <laughs> it is my cross to bear. I will bear it nobly. Such a small thing. Christie's list of, of tie-ins. <laughs> we could use it as a weapon. 
Uh, I just need a, a patron to suggest something with no tie-ins. Yes, that would be good. Um, those do exist, and we've covered some. Yes. Well, Christy, I think um, we should also explain that for a little bit, the Secret Wars um, problem struck again, and you accidentally started reading the Secret Wars 2015 Planet Hulk. I did, to start off. And then as I was reading Incredible Hulk, I was like, Planet Hulk, and I'm like, oh, we go right into World War Hulk. This is convenient. At which point, like, I was a couple issues in, and I'm like, I'm really enjoying this. And you're like, mm, that's that's not actually the main title. You are reading a tie-in. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is what happens when I just am left to my own devices on Marvel Unlimited or even DC Universe for this matter. This is, this is like, I'm realizing how much of a problem this is. Yeah, like if you're somebody who doesn't know a lot about comics and you're just trying to find things, there's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot, a lot of ins, a lot of outs. I'm just imagining like someone going, I've, I've read, or I've watched the the third Thor movie and I'd like to hear about Planet Hulk and there's two (laughs) options and you don't know which one to pick. Right. And you have to go to a comic book store where, like, 50% of the time, somebody does not want to help you. Uh, not at our comic book store. I'm just saying 50% of comic book stores. The first comic book store I ever went in, I think I've told the story on the podcast, it was right when Secret Invasion was starting to come out. And I was coming in, and he was like, he kind of looked, he kind of like glanced at me and then was like, well, you looking for anything? And I'm like, oh, I'm just looking for some of the new comics that I could maybe get. And this is before I knew about what a pull list was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That was how people got comics. In fact, when I got a pull list, I didn't think it was the usual thing. I thought it was just a nice thing my store did to make sure I got all the comics. <laughs> Not like the archaic way of doing business that they all do. I was like, oh, nice. I'll get them and they won't sell out. I don't have to just come in every week and look. Little did I know that if I didn't ask for them, they just wouldn't come in. <laughs> but I go into that store and he just goes, well, there they are. The store was – so comic book stores are often a combo comic book store X. Right. I'd say the most common is comic book store, um, game Games, shop. Yeah. Yeah. Game store. Um, then maybe like comic book store bookstore. Although I haven't seen many of those and I would love more of them to exist. This one was a comic book store, old horror movies store. Sure. And that was that guy's thing is he loved selling old horror movies, but didn't care about comics even a little bit. Mm-hmm. So he could, he just couldn't help with them. And it just like turned me off of that store forever. See, and that would have just turned me off of comics forever. Yeah. He wasn't mean. He just was like, he just said, well, there they are. Yeah. Not helpful. Nope. Not helpful. Nope. We know it is helpful. Patrons. That's right. (laughs) And uh, we have some patrons to thank. We have some new patrons. Um, As everybody knows, if you are a new patron to Chris's on Infinite Earths, you get uh, thankings on the show. Um, These are the people that went to patreon.com slash Chris's pod threw in some some dollars and they are going to get some cool prizes other than just being thanked mm-hmm. but anyway a big thank you to garal kala and sam thank you both we really appreciate you joining the the patreon team mm-hmm. we appreciate appreciate all of you that were patreon donors in the month of june since we took all of the patreon dollars we got doubled that and donated it to our local uh, greater kansas city area bail fund mm-hmm so they got around $140. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you, guys. So with that business taken care of, are we ready to get into our summary? We're covering every single issue, so it's time for the summary. Summary!
World War Hulk, written by Greg Pak, penciled by John Romita Jr., inked by Klaus Janssen, colored by Christina Strain, lettered by the juggernaut Chris Eliopoulos, edited by Nathan Cosby and Mark Panicia. Previously, Hulk was transported by the Marvel Illuminati to a planet where he could just roam free and do no harm to anyone. Except instead he landed on a harsh gladiator planet, took over, made friends, fell in love, and was going to have a child. Unfortunately, the ship that brought him had a malfunction and exploded, taking his love and unborn child away from him. Hulk and his warbound crew find a ship and head to Earth, looking for vengeance. As the ship cruises toward Earth, they first make a stop at the blue area of the moon. Awaiting Hulk is Black Bolt, king of the Inhumans and one of the Illuminati. Black Bolt and Hulk have a tussle, and even the immensely powerful voice of the Inhuman King is not enough, and Hulk stands victorious on his way to Earth. The U.S. government picks up the seismic disturbances and prepares for the Hulk's invasion, while the superheroes begin to mobilize. Hulk appears via hologram to the people of New York, telling them they have 24 hours to evacuate. He demands Reed Richards, Stephen Strange, and Tony Stark, the other Illuminati members, stay, with the ultimatum that if they leave, the city will be destroyed. Iron Man tries to follow the warbound spaceship, but it lets off a pulse that fries his armor. Oh, he manages to come back to Earth, where he and Doctor Strange try to convince the agoraphobic Sentry to help them, as Old Rob could always calm Hulk down before. Sentry is, uh, still hanging out, though. The superheroes manage to evacuate Manhattan, and the Hulk ship descends. Iron Man meets him in a new Hulk Buster armor, and they have a massive fight, with Iron Man using strength-decreasing nanites along with airstrikes. Tony plays dirty for sure, but Hulk is simply too mad and stands victorious over the fallen Iron Man. Issue 2. Iron Fist arrives at the Sanctum Sanctorum and pleads with Doctor Strange to teleport the Hulk away. Strange remarks that it didn't work last time and that the Hulk needs help from a hero. The Mighty Avengers... Uh, remember, they're split after Civil War, stand in opposition to the Warbound and Hulk. And after a brief moment where She-Hulk tries to appeal to Hulk's humanity, it's time for the fighting. The Avengers are easily defeated, but Reed Richards has a plan, which of course includes a complicated device. Storm, Black Panther, Human Torch, and the Thing try to slow down Hulk and the Warbound. But to no avail... All are defeated by the World Breaker's rage. Suddenly, the light of the sentry graces the battlefield. Hulk stands in awe of the light of his friend, the Golden Man. But Hulk realizes it's a clever ruse by Reed Richards to mimic the energy of the sentry. Hulk strikes back, beating the ever-living heck out of Reed, while Sue places another pleading call to the sentry. Rick Jones, former Hulk sidekick, finds Hulk in Manhattan and pleads with him to stop. But before Hulk can really calm down, he is psychically attacked by the magic of Doctor Strange. It doesn't fully work, though, and the good Doctor remarks that the Hulk's mind wasn't open enough for the magic to assist. Fed up with all this stuff, General Thunderbolt Ross stands ready with the military. Surely, that will work. Issue number three. Despite Rick Jones trying to talk to the Hulk, Thunderbolt Ross unleashes barrages of adamantium rounds on the Hulk. This also opens the Hulk's mind for Doctor Strange to enter. Dreamscape time. Strange and Hulk talk in Hulk's mind, with Hulk sharing his experiences on Sakaar and Strange explaining 
that they, the Illuminati, were not responsible for the explosion that killed the Hulk's wife. Hulk reverts to Banner in his mind and has a good cry. However, this is a ruse to get Strange to drop his guard, and Hulk shatters the sorcerer's hands in the mindscape, which causes the spell to end and Doctor Strange to awaken with likewise broken hands. Hulk awakens and completely wrecks the military, including taking out Thunderbolt Ross himself. The president himself tries to convince the sentry to help, going off script to berate the agoraphobic golden man. Hulk and the Warbound convert Madison Square Gardens into a massive arena, but Korg, one of Hulk's Warbound, tries to convince him that they've done enough. Hulk disagrees. Rick tries to enter the Sanctum Sanctorum to appeal to Doctor Strange, but Eloi and Hirom, two of Hulk's Warbound, intercept. They subdue Iron Fist, Echo, and Ronin, and Heroim enters the house to find Strange. Doctor Strange implores Wong to bring him a box containing the essence of the demon Zom, regardless of the rather terrible costs. Rick, who is seemingly everywhere in this crossover, arrives at the arena trying again to implore the Hulk to stop. Meek, another warbound, angrily explains what happened on Sakaar and prepares to attack Rick. However, before that can happen, Heroim falls into the arena, followed by a demon-possessed Strange. Issue 4. Strange, now vastly more powerful than the Warbound, tussles with the Hulk, but can barely control the demon's arm, leading Hulk to have to defend innocent people from the rampage of the demon. Rick tries to remind Hulk that there is good, Bruce Banner, inside him, since he saved the people that Strange nearly hurt. Bruce wrecks Strange, knocking the wizard unconscious before telling Rick that Banner isn't him. He is Banner. Back at the arena, a crowd has gathered as Hulk brings out the Illuminati, tagged with alien obedience discs. Think restraining bolts from Star Wars? Hulk has some humans read out their grievances with the clandestine group, and Hulk has the Illuminati fight a giant alien monster. Black Bolt manages to kill the monster, and then Hulk turns them on each other, activating their obedience discs. Tony hacks some of the robot guards that Hulk has, causing them to fire at the World Breaker. Eloi uses the obedience disc to make Tony fire at Mr. Fantastic, who subdues Tony and readies the killing blow. Flash to the Sentry, who is still at home. We get a flashback to a conversation that Sentry had with Tony, where Iron Man said that even if there was a chance Sentry could lose control, they would still need his help. The Hulk readies the thumbs up or down, and as the world watches on television, his thumb flips towards the ground. But Sentry flies towards the scene, ready to play God. Issue 5. Just as Reed is about to strike the killing blow, his spear slightly misses, embedding in the ground next to Tony. Hulk explains he never planned on murdering the heroes, merely showing the depths of their crimes. He's simply going to destroy Manhattan, and that's that. Reed gives Hulk one more chance to surrender, which seems kind of odd until the sentry arrives, ripping through the warbound ship. It's the big fight of the issue, as Sentry and Hulk smash into each other and their blows are so devastating and out of control that the heroes are worried that the entire planet might be at stake. 
Very Dragon Ball Z. They beat each other up so bad, in fact, that they both revert to their ordinary human forms. Robert thanks Bruce for stopping him and passes out. Meek is mad that the Hulk is actually someone so small, and he tries to attack Bruce to get him to turn back into Hulk. However, Rick Jones jumps in the way and gets speared. Bruce turns back into Hulk, enraged at the injury of his old pal. As he violently attacks Meek, the bug-like alien explains that the Illuminati put no bomb on that ship. Meek allowed some loyalists to the old regime on Sakaar set it off, thinking that surely it would fulfill the Hulk's destiny as the world breaker. This really sets Hulk off and threatens to destroy the world. Tony Stark, who had been hacking into defense satellites, sets them off, sending huge beams of energy at the Hulk. While he first appears dead, Hulk simply reverts to Bruce Banner. Bruce is taken into custody and is captive at a base in the desert. The Warbound are imprisoned as well, and the Illuminati got some thinking to do. But on the planet of Sakaar, a green creature emerges from the molten wreckage of the capital city. So how do you feel about World War Hulk? Oh my goodness. So I've already said that I consumed a lot leading up to this. A lot of Hulk content. A lot of Hulk content. And I loved Planet Hulk. Yeah? yeah I, thought, I thought for a while you did not like it. No, no. I mean, definitely getting into it, I was like, okay, this is a lot like Gladiator. It's a, it's a lot. It's like, it's a lot like. Um, and I was not actually a big fan of he and Sarah's romance. It felt really forced to me, and it wasn't until I got to like the whole premise of World War Hulk that I would understand why that would be forced. I just didn't really feel a lot of chemistry, and it felt like a like a a forced sort of marriage. Like she was supposed to be basically his sworn sword. And he's like, no, I don't want that. I want you to be my queen. And she's like, well, that sounds great. (laughs) Well, okay. And the whole... Well, Christy, that's how I proposed to you. (laughs) And then the whole child thing, I was just like, what? And I'm like, oh, of course she's about to die. Like, I don't know. Fridging the pregnant wife. That's the, uh. I'm like, of course, they needed a reason for the event. You know, the death of millions of innocents wouldn't be enough. You know, you had to have a wife with a bun in the oven. You killed my wife. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought it was a really fun story. I loved the evolution of Meek from somebody who literally was a, a very a meek individual, just so enamored by a Hulk that gains this power. Um, and has been so oppressed. And even as he gains his power, he still doesn't have the control that he wants over his life. He, he finds the last, the last queen of his species, the last, his last chance for his species to continue. And she's, you know, murdered by the regime. Oof. Yeah. So he experiences basically the same loss as Hulk. Ah. Um, which, it's interesting the the different ways that that influenced him. I mean, Meek was really he was really set out for the same thing, the same sort of revenge and rage, but I mean, he didn't he he was just so infuriated that Hulk couldn't take that same revenge out on the the entire race that had imprisoned uh, his race and mm. killed basically ended his species. So Planet Hulk better than World War Hulk. I mean, World War Hulk is just a, it's just a big fight scene. 
It is. It's interesting, though. So, Greg Pak writes both. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Planet Hulk was 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 beforehand. Mm-hmm. You can tell which one had less. I feel like editorial necessity, and which one like had particular places where they want to go. Right. Because one of them definitely reads like this is a two thousands Marvel event. I even. I, I, I kind of uh, refer to this era of Marvel events as, like, the Bendis era of events, because mm-hmm. they're all like this. Like, they act as almost like season finales of the Marvel universe. That's exactly what it is. If I hadn't read Planet Hulk leading up to this, this story would not have been as impactful. Mm-hmm. And likewise, if I hadn't read Incredible Hulk along with this, the story wouldn't have been as good either. Uh-huh. I mean, who wants to just watch the season finale? Right. And it gets, it's interesting how it evolves from here. I would say for the most part, Civil War did not have a big lead up. And even before that, House of M didn't have like the world's largest lead up. Mm -hmm. But now they're really, they're really into it. Like we already, we read Siege, which is kind of the end of this era. Right. That had like a lead up that was the previous crossover. Whereas this one had the lead up of Planet Hulk, but the lead up of the Illuminati existing and doing their thing. The Illuminati is also another Bendis-era creation. Yeah, I don't like them. No. So the Illuminati were created as a giant retcon, even. Whereas, like, it wasn't just that the Illuminati existed during that time. It was that they always existed and were doing things behind the scene, but we didn't know about it. Sure, okay. I mean, that's, that's not the first time that's that, that that's oh, happened. No, things like that. And it's not the last. No. <laughs> um. But then the, it was also like, I think, lead up to them making some poor choices. This is not the end of their poor choices. They are the the kings of poor choices. I say kings right. because they even, are all dudes. <laughs> even not together, they are the kings of poor choices, a lot of I them. I do think no one has made, like, the, all of them together, they are like the 1%, the 1%er of just bad decisions. Like, those men have made the most of the bad decisions of the entire Marvel universe. You get that much, much intelligence, power, and wealth in one room. And, and no oversight. <laughs> and things are bound to go terribly wrong. Right. Like, they make their own little oligarchy. And uh, we're like, they're like, we're really smart, aren't we? And they're all just like tapping their glasses together. You know, I love that they get their comeuppance in this. Oh, they they get it in this, and they get it again later. Because they didn't learn their lesson. No, it, that... Later, it's a little bit more morally like this. This was like a bad idea overall. I think mm-hmm. it becomes more morally gray later. Mm, yeah. Well, it was fun getting to see them beat to a pulp. <laughs> I don't know. I don't normally uh, like relish in violence this much, mm-hmm. but you know, it's nice seeing people who deserve it get their faces punched. <laughs> it's all the. Yeah, obviously, there is somebody out there who like I like. There's tons of people who Iron Man's their favorite character. He's in a movie, but like you know, there's probably all those people probably have a favorite character, like someone who's like they're my favorite. But there's I think they're also just like the most hated. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really soft spot for Black Bolt when I started reading comics, and I've kind of come to not like him a lot. Well, I feel like Black Bolt was hardly actually in this event because he... He just gets beaten up at the beginning. Yeah. Black Bolt is kind of the wharf of this event. Okay. Uh, so in Star Trek, the joke was that Worf was always the measuring stick. 
And that if the, when they encountered a threat, if they beat up Worf, it was like, okay, well, like no one else can beat him up. Like they beat up Worf. Right. Uh, Michael Dorn, to, to take a tangent, Michael Dorn, who is the actor um, who played Worf, was like, Data's stronger than Worf. Why can't they beat him up? And they were like, <laughs> how dare you, you? You look the strongest. Klingons do look scarier than than uh, than uh, androids. Uh, yes, agreed. <laughs> they got the they got the scary ridge. So the tie-ins here, I feel like events can take a lot of different approaches to tie-ins. When I started to read these, you know, if you go to Marvel Unlimited, they have the suggested reading order, which is the order that things were published. Mm-hmm. Which for Siege was actually a pretty good order to read things in because there were kind of big story-changing plot points that happened in each issue of Siege. And you you, you kind of want to stay along with it, keep up. But, like, if you were to go and read this event, I would recommend, you know, just read World War Hulk. Maybe you can read Incredible Hulk in tandem with that. Especially if you're a Hercules fan. Yeah. You get some great Herc content. There is there's a... There's a fabulous moment where he tells uh, Namora that uh, he likes fish. And then they got a big makeout session. <laughs> She's like, cool. <laughs> this was one of the last times I think that w- this has been done in Marvel. But after this event, it changes names mm. from Incredible Hulk to Incredible Hercules. Mm. And then just keeps going, like the same title. And it w- Greg Pak writes it, of course. Things but- like that don't happen very much anymore. <laughs> But if you do choose to read the tie-ins, just read the main stuff first and then read each title on its own because they were not very interconnected. In fact, if you read them all at once, you're just going to wonder how is Hulk in so many places at once. Hulk suddenly becomes Wolverine for for a crossover. (laughs) Wolverine being on every team. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I definitely recommend the X-Men tie-ins. They were a fun read. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, You know, I actually had some sympathy for Charles Xavier. Wild. I know, right? Um, And you you basically have all of the X-Men come in in those three issues. Because it's, ju- it's just a one, two, three, a little mini where just everybody coming in and waves to, to fight the Hulk. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. If you like horny content and you're really not interested in actually reading World War Hulk, you might be interested in Heroes for Hire. But reading that one... No, not not your thing. It just didn't make sense to me in terms of the story that we were trying... that that World War Hulk was trying to tell and Planet Hulk was trying to tell. There's this whole subplot of Meek and the brood, I don't know, mating and having (laughs) their eggs and... I, it was bad. All right. I mean, I, it might not be a bad story in and of itself, but it just did not make sense within the context of this story. Sounds um, good. I'm always a sucker for the frontline ones. Yeah, only you. I love Ben Yurik. He's just like, I'm sick of all these heroes. <laughs> you also get the last frontline issue, a really great look at the aftermath of the event. Like, Ben loses his home, and insurance won't cover it because it's superhero damage. Isn't that what damage control is for? Do they mention damage control? They don't. They don't. But just the really human toll of these events, because you see that. You see them, you know, covering the... You see all the 
I love all of the different variety of people that we see that are still in Manhattan. Because, you know, Holt uh, gives everybody time to evacuate. Right. But homeless people, mm-hmm. still there. Still there. People with, like, sick relatives they can't move, mm-hmm. still there. Poor people who are terrified that the only things they have in this world will be destroyed, still there. People absolutely in love with the Hulk, still there. People that hate the Illuminati, still there. Coming there, all the people that come to the arena to see the gladiatorial matches. So I thought it was just a really interesting look at just people existing in this world. I, I, I always kind of love that perspective on superhero events. Readers, I know that you're screaming at Christy to read Astro City, and she'll get to it. <laughs> Just give me an event that doesn't have so many tie-ins. <laughs> yeah, don't read Ant-Man. <laughs> Just don't. Don't. Don't do that. Who wrote that one? Was that was that Kirk, the Kirkman? Yeah, it was Kirkman. Ah, mm-hmm. Walking Dead Kirkman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I, I don't like Irredeemable Kirkman. Whoops, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I didn't like the irredeemable Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Ghost Rider was fine. Iron Man. Is this this is director This is director of Shield Iron Man, right? Yeah. 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 So uh omitted from this this uh, event is of course Captain America, who is still still very dead after Civil War. Mm-hmm. You get a little moment in uh, Frontline, actually, where they're talking about how awful, uh, well, not awful, but, like, kind of funny awful Sally is, and you get, like, the last shot is just her at Captain America's grave. Who's Sally? Sally Floyd. Who's Sally Floyd? Oh. Uh, she's a reporter. She works at Frontline. Uh, she has some fun bits with J. Jonah Jameson here, who, there's a there's a whole Frontline subplot that I think is kind of fun. <laughs> Uh, Sally Floyd, also, I have to go back and read this Fantastic Four annual now, because she apparently hit on Reed Richards in front of Sue Storm. What a move. I know. I know. I'm like, oh, I, I love I love this poor, broken individual. <laughs> Hitting on superheroes. <laughs> I loved the Punisher tie-in. Well, how, that was uh, some fraction. It was. I've never read... Punisher, so I don't really have a like a barometer for that. I still don't Punisher. I just loved how over the top it was. There was a gun that shot swords. See, that's cool. <laughs> As opposed to a Punisher, I don't know. I'm just the the concept of the Punisher is not my favorite. Punisher saved a little girl and a cat. Well, that's pretty good. That was pretty good with a gun that shot swords. How do you fight the Hulk with a sword gun? <laughs> and then Gamma Core was kind of. An interesting concept. I meet my my alter ego, Mess. <laughs> Who's a which was she a fifty states initiative superhero? Uh no well the Gamma Corps is like this secret operation where basically they take take like tons and tons of people and try to like specifically make them into individuals to fight the Hulk. Like they Wow. Yeah. Mess has um some oh why can't I remember the name? It starts with an A. Um, but like grafted under her skin, but they basically take no, 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 no. It's a (laughs) no, Chris, not a mm, somebody who fought the Hulk and looks kind of fish like. His name starts with oh, you're thinking uh, a bomb? No, 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 abomination. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. she has bits of abomination grafted onto her. Oh, why Uh, is she called mess? I don't know, but I love it. 
she joined the Gamma Corps because during a, a fight with Abomination, um, a truck lands on her car carrying her and her child, and she's, you know, like, half burned because she's trying to save her child from the wreckage, uh, and, you know, like, watches him burn to death. She watches her kid in, in the car, they had to pull her. Oh, so Gamma Core is not fun. No, there are lots of people who really hate Hulk for lots of reasons. Wow. Uh, but basically, they have this big realization at the end that they've been lied to, and Hulk really isn't the reason for most of their problems. Yeah. So, it's kind of an interesting, fun story on its own, but it really doesn't matter to this. But you like Mess because she's a mom. She's a mom, and she's a mess, and that, I think that's all I need to really, like, be in love with a character. <laughs> You're like, yes. <laughs> I I agree. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this event is a lot of punching. We should probably talk about the Sentry a little bit. Because yeah. you only know the Sentry from Siege, where he is ostensibly a bad guy. Right. It's where he, I mean, basically self-destructs. He starts as a character... In his own little mini where everybody forgot about him. And mm-hmm. he's retconned in through all of Marvel history. Mm-hmm. And so they retcon in. He, you know, Sentry was always able to calm down the Hulk. Oh, so that's not actually a thing? Well, it is a thing. But the Sentry didn't exist before, like, the like 2000s. Oh. It was just he had always existed. Oh, okay. And he made everybody forget. Because he's, like, super, super yes, powerful. Yes, I remember a little bit of this in, in researching Sentry for Siege. Right. But this is where he is still a good guy, but he's on Iron Man's team. But Iron Man has, you know, he's he's got this agoraphobia and he's schizophrenic and he has a lot they of trouble re- adjusting. They repeat that line. He's an agoraphobic schizophrenic in like, like so many of seven the, times. So many times. And even more in the tie-ins. So seven like, times, seven times. Seven times, seven times. Yeah. And that's all the times you need. That's, that's, as, that's as many times as there is. <laughs> yeah, it gets kind of old. Uh, don't you know the Sentry is an agoraphobic schizophrenic? Yes, we do. I also don't know if any of these writers write those in a way that is, like, correct. The agoraphobia, sure, he just wants to hang out inside his house. I get it. I don't... I didn't get the schizophrenic part. It's because he... Well, here's the deal. They say schizophrenic because he has that other, like, like the void, but that's oh. not... It's not exactly what schizophrenia is. No, schizophrenia no. does not give you multiple personalities. In fact, multiple personality syndrome is distinct. It's rarer. So it's things like that make me roll my eyes a little bit. But we do. I mean, I kind of liked Sentry in this, though. I didn't like the I fact. Think, that... I think it just came from my love of of mess once again. Oh, because he's he's a, he's not a he's not a perfect character. He's kind of he's a guy with his own emotional baggage and everything. Yeah. He was barely a character in this to me, though. Right. No, a lot of it true. is just him going and he, just staring at He stuff. was just a tool, essentially. Yeah, he was kind of a deus ex machina, but a little bit. But he also, like, someone else had to help because he could, he definitely was like, I can't control myself. And Tony's like, we'll still need you, though. And then he's like, I definitely cannot control myself. And the Hulk has to beat him. So we get right. this, like, we get this, like, Steve Austin and... Bret Hart style double turn in the middle of the big fight where we thought one of them was the face and one of them was the heel, but we scooched it over mid fight. <laughs> How about that? The end of the, you know, at the, at the very end, Sentry's got Hulk in the sharpshooter and he's looking right at the camera in that moment. We know that Hulk's the face. Mm-hmm. Do you think Hulk enters the ring to the Steve Austin's theme song? I could, I could definitely see it with the glass shattering. Makes sense. 
That could be a fun bonus episode, just the entrance songs of different heroes, what they would be. <sighs> I don't we know would, if that could be we a full would, episode. We would have to bring friend of the pod, Charlie Davis, on for That's that episode. <laughs> Hulk 316 says, I just destroyed Manhattan. I loved, I think there was a Hulk 316 sign <laughs> at the... In the gladiator arena. I'm not sure <laughs> if it was sense. a tie-in, but there were definitely some 316 signs. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, also, Greg Pak, who loves ridiculous sound effects, put his own name as a sound effect in the main title. It was <laughs> Greg Pak, which is pretty great. <laughs> um, he also, Why not? He did all the... He wrote Chaos War, which is also just tons and tons of sound effects. There was like three solid pages of just... Just punching and sound effects. No words. On several. Like, the Iron Man issue. The issue where he fights Iron Man, lots of that. The issue where he fights Doctor Strange, also lots of that. The issue where Mm -hmm. he fights Sentry, like, half the issue is just punching. Yeah, but this is definitely an event that does not stand on its own. No, it definitely needs some lead-in. Mm-hmm. Which, I'm starting... I'm starting to, you know... As I am getting excited for... Like X of Swords, like an event that's that's got presumably some quite a bit of lead in in like uh, all of Dawn of X. And- it officially has, I think, t- two prologue issues before the um before the the at the the mm-hmm. alpha issue. I I like to joke that X of Swords is a Big Mac, and it has it has three buns, and those are the the three one shots that are all the the mm-hmm. the creation synthesis destruction. Maybe it's stasis is the middle one. I don't know. But it's a Big Mac. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. But, it, it, I mean, it feels like there's a lot of excitement building to that, which I think is a drawback sometimes of us covering crossovers and events as standalone things. Right. It kind of divorces it from the context of what was going on in the runs at the time, which, you know, makes me feel that deep obligation to read all the tie-ins and... uh Add some of that context to <laughs> to these events. And the readers are happy you do it, Christy. Do we want to go to their questions? Yeah, let's go to reader questions. All right. Our first Twitter question comes from Zachy Daytona at Big Dad Energy. What are your feelings about movie Meek and Korg? Oh, love them. I love, love them better than the comic ones. Oh, yeah. So fun. Movie Meek would never do this. Movie Meek does not talk. <laughs> um, movie Korg is voiced by Taika Waititi, who based his voice off of, like, a bouncer from New Zealand. I don't know if it was a specific one or, like, several. But there's apparently... He, I don't know if it was, like... There was at least one bouncer that he met was this gigantic guy who just kind of had this small voice like this. <laughs> and I think that's delightful. Those are my that's favorite so people. So uh, they rule. Yep. I'm cold. This is me. Like them. Love them. Let the revolution begin. <laughs> <laughs> um, our next question comes from Robert Secundus at Robert Secundus on Twitter. Uh, the first two questions. Let, let's just let's just go ahead and read out these deep thought provoking questions. Does God have a shadow? Yes. Does God have a hole? Absolutely. That's 100% true. <laughs> and now his serious question. Why do you think Warbringer Hulk was such a popular version of the character? And why was he effectively removed at the height of his popularity? Because you don't know what you got till, till it's gone. 
Um, I think, I think, I think maybe Marvel finally, uh, at that point had had a, maybe we don't need to draw something out to death. Uh, what? I know. No. They are having a hard time doing this with Immortal Hulk. Any mini series that has Hulk in it right now is Immortal Hulk, Immortal Hulk, Immortal Hulk. But Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk has this very specific vibe and like creative vision toward it. You know, Al Ewing and mostly Joe Bennett as the penciler. And anytime anybody loves to put these like immortal Hulk things, like you, like that, that has an obligation to be a specific thing. Mm. And I think that maybe they were good making, like getting Worldbreaker Hulk, like he's got like six months of awesomeness. And, and maybe that's what we remember him for. Yeah. It, it's kind of fun having a character who can shift. And be that dynamic. The Hulk is many things and it kind of rules. I think he was popular because everybody, like, who doesn't love, like, a rebel against, like, a corrupt authority? Oh, yeah. And he finally, I mean, Hulk has always been that a little bit, but he was always kind of, it's weirder. I, I think it's weirder for some people on Earth because he'll, like, destroy a town. And, you know, some people don't like when towns are destroyed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he got to be, like a like, a gladiator and, like, help liberate a planet of people who are all enslaved or oppressed right right ruled it's like it's great Mm -hmm. i love this version of the hulk planet hulk was actually one of the first comics i read uh it was it was uh given to me by a friend to borrow who he was a trade reader and Mm -hmm. did not read floppies and i started reading floppies and thus thus as as you know christy i became completely insufferable about it (laughs) and was like and and so you get these trades, but I would have read it like six months ago. And I'm like, oh yeah, that is that's yeah, that's a pretty good story. <laughs> oh, and so then he had to start getting floppies. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm the worst. But um, uh, he gave it to me because he's like, this is a cool story. You don't need to know anything about Hulk. Uh, he's just he just he he's does like fights on an alien planet, and I'm like, that's cool. Um, the next question comes from uh, at Drew. GY who says is the mo- is this the most effective Hulk versus the world story? It feels like Hulk's whole thing from the 60s is being misunderstood slash versus the rest of the world, but it took like 40 years to get it right. Also, have you read the planetary one shot with the Hulk analog? It's pretty dark. To the first question, I would say pretty close to it if Immortal Hulk didn't currently exist. Mm. <laughs> the Immortal Hulk's deal is Hulk versus the corrupt systems on the planet Earth, and so it rules because it's very it's very timely and poignant. Mm-hmm. But I would say at that time, it was my favorite one of those. But I have to admit, I'm not like a Hulk person. I haven't read like Peter David's run of Hulk, and I probably never will. And I haven't read like a ton of the 60s Hulk. I think I've read the first issue he appeared. And I have not read the planetary one shot with the Hulk analog. Uh, I have read the planetary one shot. I don't remember it super well. I don't know why I don't remember it super well. But I also don't really want to talk about Warren Ellis comics right now. So we can keep going. All right. Our next question comes from Aaron at dipping underscore sauce on Twitter. What would Planet Chris's be like? Okay. So Planet Hulk is about like him overthrowing like an oppressive system and bringing justice and peace. I think Planet Chris's, Mm -hmm. we're removing all non-native plants and like nativizing the landscapes and getting rid of lawns. Ooh, that's probably pretty good. So, uh, Christy and I theoretically have a lawn, but we're trying to slowly but surely get rid of it because, uh, we are big, we're big native plant gardeners. We live in the Midwestern United States and we try very hard to make our landscaping 
pretty native. There's a few non-natives that we keep. We keep a we keep four hostas. Those are non-natives. Mm-hmm. Readers, Chris, we had like a seven foot tall burning bush, which is in the front of our house, which is non-native. There are burn. There are like burning bush. I think analogs or similar ones that are native. This one, not native, Mm-mm. is out of control. It is out of control. We've cut it back very many times. He just came home from work this week and was like, I'm hacking it down, which was very cute. It's true. It was seven <laughs> foot tall. And I, I'm uh, like, you are going to injure yourself. And he's like, no, I'm not. Watch me. And he didn't. We did not have, we don't have a chainsaw either. So this was all like hand, hand saw work. Very cute. Very, I don't know what we're going to do with it. It's still a stump. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll make room for that. That shrubby St. John's wart. Yes, we're replacing we're replacing our, our burning bush with a bunch of shrubby St. John's wart. It's a great pollinator bush. I recommend all of you for whom your hardiness zone and your and, and if it's native to plant them. They are a bee and butterfly thing. Yep. So that would that would be our planet. Aggressive nativization <laughs> of the landscape. Of the landscape. <laughs> um, barbecues, outdoor hangs. Yeah. Winter would be very brief and it would only be lightly snowy. Just at all times. Just at all times. A soft snow. It always melted on the roads. It's just a super long growing season where we can eat <laughs> fresh vegetables and fruit. That would be what we want. Oh gosh, we're dorks. <laughs> <laughs> Some people would say, Wow, quarantine got them really into gardening. Not true. We were this way beforehand. <laughs> I got into birding during quarantine. (laughs) All right. Our next question comes from uh, Mark Turetsky at mturetsky on Twitter. Do you think Planet Hulk has anything to say about the colonialist aspects of the John Carter of Mars stories? A clear inspiration? I never, I didn't really think about the John Carter of Mars stories as an inspiration necessarily. It totally is I just didn't think about it till I read Mark's question. I kind of thought of these as inspired by by Spartacus for the most part. Mm-hmm. There's even some jokes about that in the tie-ins, right? Uh, which makes sense. It is, but um, so John Carter of Mars was Edgar Rice Burroughs' story, where a guy from the 1800s who I think is even he's from Northern Virginia, so I feel like he's probably a Confederate. I don't remember, but I bet he is. So he probably sucks. Um, gets transported to Mars where there's several different kind of warring races mm-hmm. that exist there. Um, and he's like way stronger than them cause he's used to earth gravity. So he's, he's literally like a white, a, a, a mighty whitey savior trope. So mm-hmm. he, it's pretty, it is pretty colonialist. It's a little bit like wild west, like the, the lawman comes to town sort of deal. But what I love about planet Hulk is that Hulk is someone that is, rejected by his people who is othered and feared and right and he is not put into a situation with like warring peoples where he is necessarily injecting himself as an equalizer he is immediately he is himself oppressed by an oppressive figure and Mm -hmm. he aids in his fellow oppressed people to very reluctantly even right uh, Hulk mostly just wants to be left alone, and this is the like I, if I remember correctly, Planet Hulk was kind of him getting over getting over his whole like I just want to right go away right. Um, so yeah, I think that I think that it is. 
I'm not sure if the critique was purposeful, but I do think that this is a this is a, a stronger story in terms of liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, it uses some sort of tr- some trappings, kind of of those those Princess of Mars stories. Um, just the sandy gladiator planet. Mm-hmm. And our next question comes from As If DK, As If DK on Twitter. If you could swap the powers of any two heroes or villains, but leave their personality intact, who would you choose? Huh. That's not really a Hulk question. No, this seems like a more general question. Should we make it Hulk related? If we could swap any people in this? If we'd swap anyone with Hulk. If we could swap if anyone could be a Hulk. Oh, ooh, I like that. Uh I think Iron Man, I would swap Iron Man, Hulk, and Bruce Banner as suddenly Iron Man. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know if it'd be good, but it would certainly be interesting for a little bit. Would it be <laughs> Would it be fun to do a rogue Hulk kind of power body swap? <laughs> Rogues had to be has had to undergo quite a bit of that, but just I don't know. I that to me seemed kind of fun. Sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, we have a question from Justin Partridge at j underscore partridge l l l i i i I don't know on Twitter. Uh, meek good boy or goodest boy? Not in this. He's a bad boy. I love Meek though. I love his whole arc and then ultimately his downfall. Like, he's an incredibly broken character that I love to bits. A a problematic fave. (laughs) A problematic fave, for sure. And Danielle, 1312, at Eldritch Lady, uh, asks, what was the most frustrating part of it all? And uh, because she's asked this on my retweet where I mentioned reading Planet Hulk and World War Hulk plus the tie-ins, I think the um, most frustrating part was the Frank Thierry <laughs> dying in his shoes. And we're just going to leave it at that. He's going to fight you in a parking lot. <laughs> Bring it. We, <sighs> we, we both have some mobster ancestry. It would be fun. I don't have any mobster ancestry. No, me and Frank. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> at least I'm assuming so. Frank Thierry yeah, has a Wikipedia as a mobster. Frank Thierry. Not the, no, like uh, somebody with the same name who lived at around the same time as my Papa John. Christy, you can't just assume that he's a monster. <laughs> I'm not assuming that Frank, that the currently alive Frank Thierry was a monster, but if somebody with the same name. <laughs> you're only getting away with this because you're Italian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Before we get into too much trouble, let's get into some accolades. Accolades. All right, what's the best line, Christy? Okay, so I know we poked fun at this line a little bit, but I love it for the for the ending of it. Um, there, the line talking about the century. He's an agoraphobic schizophrenic who's spent the past twenty nine hours standing in his doorway. That is pretty good. <laughs> My f- favorite is from Hulk is because I, I think it's very funny. It's where he does the hologram of himself. He says, "Puny humans." I've come to smash. <laughs> oh, and then he says, and you should know who's to blame, but I think I've come to smash is pretty funny. <laughs> oh. All right. What about the coolest moment? I think the, to me, the coolest moment was where Hulk revealed like his whole like 
tragic backstory to Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange basically like pulled out his pad and pen and was like, and how does that make you feel? <laughs> and Hulk just turns back into Hulk and shatters his hands. I thought one of the hallmarks of this crossover is Hulk is basically a step ahead of everybody at all times, and they That's don't expect great. it because he's supposed to be dumb, right? Uh, and this was this was the time where I I liked how much how much um come up and he got to inflict. I just my coolest moment was the like holographic Hulk and uh, his warbound like in the middle of Times Square and that whole speech and I kind I mean I saw it a bunch because it was in nearly every tie-in snippets of that same speech. But gosh, if that isn't like a cool, like, hey, I'm here. This is what's going on. And these guys are jerks. Here's my friends. Here's my friends. <laughs> my name's Korg, and I'm here to say I'm made of rocks in a major way. <laughs> All right. What about the greatest hero? Rick Jones. Yeah. Daily Devil here. Yeah. Hit it, Matt D. Wilson. <laughs> he, he tried to sacrifice himself a lot and finally kind of did. <laughs> Yeah, just, you know, that unyielding friendship. Hulk's my boy! <laughs> All right, and what about your silly villainy here? Silly villainy was the Crusher Creel Award for silly villainy. was kind of interesting to think about, because you don't have a clear good or bad or right or wrong So, this. Reed's a bad guy, usually. Yes. Uh, they only make you feel bad because Hulk beats him up a lot, and he's all bruised when he's all stretchy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's bits in that where it almost seems like Reed does like a whoop, 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 whoop <laughs> when he's getting beat up. And so, it re- so that is your Crusher Creel. No. Oh, okay. It's for him trying to imitate the sentry. It's, yeah. I'm just imagining him being like, Hulk, it's your friend, the sentry. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like a couple flashlights. <laughs> I love this lo-fi version that you've constructed here. That narrative is gold. Reed Richards just has a flashlight on his head, and he's kind of waving his arms like one of those inflatable tube men. And he's like, Hulk! Well, I gave uh, my Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy to Doctor Strange. Uh, One, because he summons Zom. 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 Um, but two for the line, Strange Smash. Yeah. Do you it like was a whole bunch. Do you like that he summoned Zom, who's a guy, and, and had him, in, like, Zom, like, overtook him. Mm-hmm. But also, Zom has, like, hammers for hands, and Smash, er, and Strange had to do it because his hands wouldn't work, so he had to replace them with the hammers. <laughs> How does Zom go to the bathroom? You know what? It's fine. What the main issue, or what the main story does not address is that when Strange is beat, Zom, that el- that or at least that aspect or that piece of Zom that Strange has summoned, like, leaves Doctor Strange and then goes and possesses the Hulkbuster armor. And Wong has to come and help, like, Hercules and, and Namor and everybody, and Amadeus, um, like basically beat the Hulkbuster armor and recapture Zom. Ridiculous. This is one of the things that uh, get strange of it for a while loses his status as Sorcerer Supreme. And like, this is one of the main things because it's like, how could you let this happen, Steven? <laughs> you let loose a demon and let it possess you, you giant dummy. <laughs> All right. So readers, we have our key of C award, which uh, is a patron created accolade 
that we use to recognize a moment that is or should be in a crossover that would be best suited as a musical number. Yes. Um, mine this week goes to Meek and Hulk. I just wanted like Meek explaining to Hulk what he did while mm. they're fighting and they can have like a really like Valjean at last we see each other playing sort of deal. Like they could have a fun little. My musical number also inc- included Meek. Meek's just a musical boy. Well, I just feel like there's a lot that you don't get in the main issue. And in fact, there's a really fantastic, incredible Hulk issue where we see the parallels between Meek's friendship with Hulk and Rick Jones' friendship with Hulk. And you see those parallels kind of played out. And I really think we need a musical number of that moment. Mm. And that would have greatly upped the stakes and added the impact to both Meek's betrayal and Rick Jones's sacrifice mm-hmm. in the main title. It would have been beautiful. I love it. <laughs> All right, well, readers, we're going to be wrapping up this episode of Chris's on Infinite Earths. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Chris's Pod on Twitter and Facebook. You can send us those longer form messages, should you need, to Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. We have both Kofi and Patreon links in the show notes if you would like to donate in those various ways. We appreciate mm-hmm. everything you send our way. And uh, now that comics are starting to come out again, you can catch more of our writing over at Xavier Files. Yes, the newly merged Xavier Files. We have merged with WMQ Comics. So now not only do we not... At first, we just covered X-Men. Then we covered X-Men and Marvel. Now we cover X-Men and Marvel in basically every indie that exists. So we cover everything that isn't DC. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) And even sometimes a little DC. There's, we just don't do weekly reviews of DC yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe eventually. Maybe. But if you haven't checked that stuff out, you can catch more of us over there. And until next time. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. <laughs>